ahead. What are you waiting for? everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it if you like listening to a guy talk about one unsystematically chosen movie at a time in weekly episodes then look no further to keep up with the newest content you can find brandon at random reviews on most major video and audio platforms as well as all popular social media sites if you enjoy this please like and subscribe today's movie is the thing released on june 25th 1982 directed by john carpenter written by bill lancaster for the producers we have david foster and lawrence terman for the score we have composer ennio maricone i think is how you pronounce it but don't quote me on that for the cast we have kurt russell who plays rj mccready and he was in tombstone as wyatt earp and that was a fucking iconic movie a lot of great performances in that obviously val kilmer probably was a standout he was also in Big Trouble in Little China, which I need to revisit. I haven't seen it in a very long time. And he was in Escape from New York, and that one was fucking solid. Escape from LA really sucked ass, and I don't even know why the hell that happened, but what can you do? We also have Wilfred Brimley, who plays Dr. Blair, and we have Keith David, who plays Childs. For the casting notes, stunt coordinator Dick Warlock made multiple cameo appearances in the film. He's arguably best known for being that guy who was given the name Dick Warlock at birth, just saying. So for the plot synopsis, a research team at a frigid Antarctic facility is terrorized by an alien who takes on the appearance of its victims. For the tagline, anytime, anywhere, anyone. It's, it feels a little generic. I mean, I I like it. I think it Bits, but it's also kind of lacking in imagination. All right, guys, let's just dive right into the plot of this fucking movie. So this is yet another film I love that I almost exclusively watch in the dead of winter with snow on the ground because honestly, it just feels right. It suits the mood. I don't know. The movie starts with an alien spacecraft seemingly making a crash descent to Earth somewhere near Antarctica in 1982. There's a man in a helicopter approaching a base near the South Pole and he fires multiple rifle shots at a husky. The husky escapes, and this might be a wolf, but 
they were calling it a dog, so I apologize to any of my viewers who were offended by my potential misbreeding or misidentification of this species. We see a group of men on the American base who spot the chopper and they don't know who it is, but suddenly the stranger begins lobbing grenades down at the base. And when he lands, the stranger throws a grenade and it explodes and he begins speaking a foreign language and fires shots at the Americans and hits one of them in the leg. But as the stranger approaches the base, an older American kills the stranger from a window with a handgun. McCready, aka Mac, played by Kurt Russell, is a helicopter pilot who takes a couple other men to a Norwegian base after it's established that radio communications with the other bases is quite unsuccessful for quite some time. When they arrive at the Norwegian base, they find what appears to be a deserted facility with all of the interior overtaken by ice and frost. At least one of the bodies that they find is frozen in a chair and has a mangled face and just is really fucked up looking. And they realize it's likely that something awful happened there, which is further evidenced by apparent attempts to set fire to different things by the now dead former occupants. They bring a very torn up pair of bodies back to their base and they initiate an autopsy and everything appears normal and human with the results despite how things look. Like this, this does not look right. Like you would expect something to be off with those results. Looking around the base, it seems like they have a lot of shit I wouldn't have expected, including a pool table and one man even lights up a doobie. A doobie, guys. Can you believe that? So the dog from the beginning is put in the kennel with the other dogs, and the other dogs get pretty spooked by it. And then suddenly the one dog turns into a scary spider-like creature, spewing fluid at the rest of the dogs. So one of the men comes back to the kennel and finds all the spooked dogs who weren't consumed by the creature are scampering away, and Mac pulls the fire alarm and the other men come to investigate and find the creature now strangling a dog with its tentacle things, and it seemingly turns into another dog, partially. I don't know if my expectations were tempered since I last watched this, but the effects here were actually pretty decent, especially by early 80s standards. Ultimately, they set the dog creature on fire, and the assumption is that they killed it, and they do an autopsy on it. This film features a free mustache Wilford Brimley as Dr. Blair, who asks Clark if he noticed anything strange about the dog, and Clark didn't remember anything out of the ordinary, but Blair finds it strange that the dog turned into the creature after being penned up with the other dogs for the first time. They ultimately determine that whatever the creature is, it is capable of perfectly imitating other creatures and could potentially assimilate all life on Earth within a few years if it had the chance. Mac and a couple others go out to investigate something that appears to be embedded in the ice not too far from the base, and Mac theorizes that it's a spaceship that the creature came in. It didn't surface until it actually thawed, so like they don't really know what the timeline is there. So they look at some cells under a microscope, and one transforms to look like the others, and the old-timey computer readout somehow determines that it is now a dog cell, but it's an imitation version. So there's something about the level of isolation in the setting of this movie that really dials up the suspense throughout. They elect not to burn the bizarre bodies because they're the find of the century, and one of the men asks Mac to talk outside to raise a concern about Dr. Blair behaving strangely 
and locking himself in his room. Suddenly it's discovered that the creature who has taken on the form of Fuchs escaped and after burning him, they determined that they must burn the rest of the bodies and, you know, take them outside and get rid of them. It's strange because as much as the sci-fi stuff in this movie tends to seem a little off the wall, the other stuff still feels very realistic and grounded. Blair is shown being belligerent inside the base and fires shots at all the men hiding in the hallway, and then he proceeds to demolish the room he's in while they attempt to reason with him and manage to subdue him eventually. And it turns out that he also sabotaged all of their vehicles to prevent their escape. So they give Blair a shot in the arm and he's calmed down finally and he warns Mac to watch out for Clark. And the aspect that makes this movie so compelling is that anyone can be the alien. So the viewer doesn't have the convenience of knowing who to fear right away. And ultimately, you end up fearing everyone. When it's suggested that they could try and mix each of their blood samples with existing uncontaminated blood samples from storage to see who might be the alien, they come to the lab and discover the blood from storage is gone. Each of them gets increasingly suspicious of one another and subsequently hostile. They manage to agree to a plan and Mac begins dictating his accounts of what has happened into a tape recorder that he intends to hide so it might be found if none of these scientists or researchers or whatever live. They also find the body of Fuchs, who they assume actually took his own life to avoid assimilation with the thing. They decide that in order to prevent contamination that they should all prepare their own food and eat out of cans as much as possible, and everyone is just fucking on edge during this time. So Blair tries to convince Mac that he has no intention to hurt anyone, and he's much better now and he just feels like he should be allowed to come back with everyone else. Mac and company notice that the light is on in one of the shacks, despite Mac having shut it off himself, and he was the last one in there, so like they have no reason to believe this light would be on. Nulls eventually abandons Mac in a snowstorm out of fear that he'd been assimilated by the thing, and when Nulls returns to the others at the base, their collective paranoia rationalizes not allowing Mac inside. But Mac threatens to dynamite the base and take everyone with him if they refuse him entry. When one of the men stops breathing, they hit him with those defibrillator paddles that George Clooney used to use, and the guy's chest cavity opens up like a fucking mouth. Like, like the corners of the mouth would be like at his waist and at the bottom of his neck. Like, it's, it, it just looks fucking bizarre. So as this guy is hitting him with the paddles, the mouth opens and the teeth bite down on like his arms and it's fucking crazy. So then as the alien again takes the form of a spider-ish creature with a human face, Mac hits it with a flamethrower, but unfortunately no one knows if anyone who is left is actually an alien as well hiding in plain sight. So the guys are all sitting together, mostly tied to chairs, while Mac takes a sample of each of their blood, including the one who Mac had killed, and Childs points out that when the sample doesn't respond when it hits the hot wire, this means that Mac is technically a murderer, which is kind of like, I mean, I guess, I mean, like you wouldn't have done that. Anyway, when Mac hits one of the samples to the heat, there is a major reaction and multiple aliens begin attacking everyone, and most of the men are tied down and helpless. If it hasn't been super clear, I haven't really hardly learned any of the men's names in this movie. This makes it easier not to become attached or emotional for when they 
ultimately perish. So after all of the excitement, the men finish testing the blood samples with no further issue, and then they go to look for Blair, but he appears to have escaped from where they had attempted to contain him, and as they go to find him, they find a small alien spaceship Blair constructed from vehicle components. It's revealed that the power generator for the base has been destroyed, so they no longer have any way to heat the base. It's not looking good for them, honestly. So the team eventually fire bombs every room in the base because it's a much more reassuring way to hopefully eradicate the alien, but it's important to note that they still can't fully be sure that they've gotten rid of it. I guess the assumption is that the thing would go into hibernation and resurface if a rescue team showed up, and they know it's imperative that they avoid letting the thing get away and ultimately, like, potentially take over the Earth, right? So, eventually, the alien version of Blair emerges and kills one of the guys after the firebombing, and the alien turns into a final boss-style creature for Mac to face off with. Mac throws a bomb at the alien, ultimately, and says, well, fuck you, too, and runs off. Fucking badass. I mean, horny as fuck, but badass. Childs runs into him after the whole ordeal, and they talk about their impending doom after having destroyed the only structure that could sustain them in this wintry hellscape. And then they're just sitting there, and we just roll credits, because that's the kind of movie this is. All right, so praise for this movie. I love the premise and execution with this one. To me, the concept is more exciting and compelling than most ordinary monster or horror movies. It really keeps you on your toes. The acting is solid across the board. I don't have any familiarity with a lot of these actors, but they all turn in household name performances. As I mentioned, this movie feels pretty grounded, and a lot of reactions to different situations are well-written and realistic. It, it's very human. The special effects are cool, honestly. Like, obviously, they're cheesy, but they're perfect for this film. And it doesn't take you out of the excitement in my mind. Like, I'm watching it and I'm like, well, yeah, it's every other thing about this movie might point to it being made in the early 80s. And that's just what I would expect. You know, if there's going to be something like that, it might have some shitty effects. Criticism, because of the decision to have an all-male cast, the failure to include any real boobs of any kind is pretty unfortunate. All right, trivia. So John Carpenter has said that of all the films he's ever made, this one is his favorite and he has a lot of great movies. And like, generally speaking, like I don't, I mean like this one, this one's technically a remake, but it's also like, it doesn't, it's, from what I gather, it's not like a lot like the movie it was remaking. A direct prequel to this film with the same fucking title starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton was released in 2011 to mixed reception. But seriously, stop fucking doing this shit where you give one installment in a film series the same name as another installment in the series, and it's usually the same name as the first movie. Like, perfect example, I think it was 2018 Halloween. It was a, a sequel, and they fucking redid the timeline, and they fucking named it Halloween, and the first movie from 78 was Halloween. So it's like, why are you doing this? Like, I, I, I get it. I get what you're trying for. Why? 
just fucking stop. Unused music composed by Ennio Morricone from this movie would go on to be used in the score for Quentin Tarantino's 2015 Western, The Hateful Eight. Morricone won an Oscar for his music in The Hateful Eight, but was nominated for a Razzie for his work on The Thing. I think the score for The Thing, it's fucking solid. It's a little of its time. Say what you will. It wasn't necessarily amazing, but it was not bad. Like, it didn't stand out as like, oh god, what the fuck is this? And on that note, fuck the Razzies. Like, they're even worse than traditional award shows, and it's so cringy when people actually come in person to accept awards. I'm looking at you, Halle Berry. The whole Catwoman acceptance speech, like, it made me, oh, cringe so fucking hard. To give the illusion of icy Antarctic conditions, interior sets on the Los Angeles sound stages were refrigerated down to 40 degrees Fahrenheit while it was well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Season 1, Episode 8 of The X-Files, which was titled Ice and was released in 1993, is a direct homage to this film. I, I say, like, I feel like I only know the word homage from, like, originally from rap music. Like, I know it's not probably where it originated, but most rappers say homage instead of homage, and I don't know which one's right, and I don't really care to find out, all right? So, but honestly, like, the fucking X-Files, especially the first several seasons, is a spectacular show, totally worth checking out if you like paranormal or science fiction-y type things. One day after shooting a scene with the flamethrower, Kurt Russell pulled a practical joke on John Carpenter by covering his face and head with bandages and claiming that he had gotten burned. Wow, that sounds pretty funny, Kurt. All right, on to info and ratings. So we have a runtime of 109 minutes. This movie is rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. Budget, 15 million. Opening weekend, 3.1 million. Worldwide gross, 19.9 million. IMDb rating, 8.2. Letterboxd rating, 4.4. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 85%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 92%. Personal rating, 5 out of 5 stars. This one is a fucking classic. Like, honestly, I don't know. I mean, every time I've watched it, I think I've, I've probably watched it like four or five times. Every time I watch it, it's better. I like it more than I did the last time. And that really says something for a movie because that's hard to pull off. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in. Have a good rest of your day. Bye now.
Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it.